0: Due to the graphic nature of this urban legend, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes body horror and the death of a child. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Never take candy from a stranger. It's something you probably heard as a kid. And sure, with cases like Dean Corll, who lured boys into his car with the promise of candy, It's not a bad piece of advice. But these rules don't apply on Halloween night. Suddenly, children are encouraged to take candy from strangers by the handful, fistful, pillowcaseful. It's an act of trust, an investment in your community. But as the world widens and we know less and less about our neighbors, the risk grows. And in some cases, a sweet tooth may put your child in grave danger welcome to haunted places a podcast original i'm greg polson every thursday we take you to the scariest eeriest most haunted real places on earth and share their stories this episode is part of our urban legends halloween special Every day for the month of October, we're presenting our spooky spin on an urban legend. Then, diving into the history of the horror. Like it or not, each terrifying tale contains a grain of truth. You can find episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Haunted Places for free on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Haunted Places in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. Listen to more episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals on Spotify or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Today, we examine a legend based on the murder of one child and attempted murder of several others. The tale of the poisoned candy preys on the deepest of parental fears. One piece of candy won't hurt them. Or so we like to say. But in the hands of a monster, that little indulgence can turn deadly. The Poison Candy is a real life horror story that would go on to inspire the later urban legends, The Candyman and Razor Blades and Candy. Unlike the legends that would follow, The Poison Candy clearly derives from an actual crime that made national news. According to prosecutor of the case, Mike Hinton, there's no question it had a national effect on Halloween. The stories that follow this real-life tragedy get farther and farther from the truth. But the original kernel is this. A child goes trick-or-treating in a nearby neighborhood. They pick one piece of candy to eat before bed. That one piece of candy has been poisoned and the child dies. It's a story that hits hardest with parents because it challenges the social contract of trick-or-treating. It raises questions about how well you know your neighbors, even your own family. We all want to reward our kids for a job well done, but what happens when that reward is actually a deadly trap? Sam had never been trick-or-treating. But he was 11 now, and that meant he got to leave the neighborhood trunk and treat behind. His parents had decided he was now old enough to wander the streets with his friends. No more screaming babies, no cutesy displays in the back of cars. He was in for the real thing houses transformed into asylums and jails, king size candy bars, mischief night. It was all for him, waiting just outside his door. His mom did a final inspection of his costume. Long black robes trailed towards the sneakers. She had spent days on the mask. It had large holes for eyes, closer to the ears than the nose. The nose was a long black beak with hand-sewn stitches of red going up the bridge. Sam had seen a picture of it online months ago, and he knew it would be right for Halloween. His mother volunteered to make it for him so it would fit his face. And now it did, beautifully turning him into a small but very scary plague doctor. When all the seams had been checked and she was happy with the look, his mother slid the mask down over his head. She kissed the top of the mask and handed him an empty pillowcase for his treats. Sam told her he loved her and headed outside into the crisp fall night. Ben and Jacob, his two best friends since preschool, were already waiting for him. Ben was dressed as the Grim Reaper. Jacob was a fortnight llama. They strutted down the streets of their cul-de-sac, headed towards where the king-size candy bars were, ranosa Street. Immense wrought-iron gates hung open, a rare invitation to explore a world that Sam and his friend's parents could never afford. The guard waved at them from his little kiosk. The three boys hit up the first street of houses, collecting small handfuls of candy from smiling moms. The decorations weren't quite living up to Sam's expectations. He had wanted spooky houses, not bright orange pumpkins and plastic witch bodies stuck into trees. A crowd of older boys, 13-year-olds, were talking excitedly about another house. It had been Old Man Wesleyan's house before they'd taken him away. He was an old Victorian at the very end of the street, surrounded by ancient-looking trees. Screams echoed through the yard. A dead body stood by the door. If you were brave enough to reach into its stomach, you'd get king-sized candy. Even the older boys shivered as they spoke about it. It was everything Sam wanted, but Jacob was scared. He said the house was supposed to be empty. Maybe some kind of witch or demon was hiding there, luring children to their deaths. Sam and Ben laughed it off. They wanted witches and demons. That's what Halloween was all about. Jacob was just being a baby. The crowds of kids started to thin as they got closer to the mystery house. Young kids held their parents' hands as they turned around. Teens gathered in front yards with red cups in their hands. Their backs turned conspicuously away from the darkness. Behind their backs, waiting, stood the Wesleyan house. The soft glow of street lamps didn't quite reach the lurking Victorian edifice. All the lights were out, but the brave moon cast long shadows against the house. A dusty dark gray against a deep navy sky. Jacob said they should turn around, but Sam needed a better look. He hadn't seen the dead body yet. Like some of the other houses, this one had a fence around it. Spikes stretched up towards the starless night. A few dead bat decorations had been tied to the bars. Ben reached on his tiptoes to touch one of them, calling it kid stuff, just as bad as the pumpkins and plastic witches. He frowned as he touched it, then dropped back down. Sam asked what was wrong. Ben paused, uncertain how to explain. The bat was warm, squishy. It didn't feel like rubber at all. It felt like an animal. Sam laughed. It was just a good decoration, nothing to be scared about. He pushed the gate open and stepped inside. The yard was massive, bigger than Sam's whole house. Trees were dotted around the property, overlapping just enough to provide a true canopy up above. The house itself peaked between a few of the last bits of wood and undergrowth far off. A few steps in, Sam realized that Ben and Jacob weren't with him. They were still on the other side of the gate, frozen, knuckles white as they held onto the gate. Fine, he'd get candy for the three of them. He wasn't afraid. Dummy bodies swayed from the trees. The wind blew them around, making them dance a strange almost jig in time with the recorded screams that echoed through the trees. There was something wrong with their faces. They were stretched thin, small corners of cheekbone puncturing the leathery skin. This guy took Halloween seriously. Sam liked it. But he also found himself looking back at the bodies to make sure their eyes weren't following him. He thought he saw one of them smile. When he looked again, its mouth was turned down in horror. As Sam shot a look back towards the fences, Jacob and Ben were still there, watching him. Jacob was holding onto the fence for dear life. He passed the dense trees. He checked the canopy for a speaker to explain the growing screams. But there was nothing there. He whipped his head around, delighting in the challenge of the search. Where was the sound coming from? Sam felt something slimy against his back. He turned around. A gauzy, fake spiderweb had sunk low on a tree branch, drooping down until it touched him. He jumped backwards, his heart pounding. It didn't feel like anything he'd ever touched in his whole life. Sam was starting to consider turning back. He didn't want to be a baby, but this was weird. He could feel eyes on him. Maybe Jacob was right, and there was a demon hiding on the other side of the door. When he reached into the body for the candy, it would leap out, sinking its claws into his eyes, and he would never make it back home. No, he was 11 now. 11-year-olds could handle scary things. He was gonna get that candy. He headed for the porch, curving through the trees, until he saw a small light waiting for him. One single bulb shone next to the door. The shape of a person just barely stood out from the darkness. The corpse. Sam took his time. He didn't need to hurry to the corpse. It was still just a silhouette. The shadow seemed to creep towards him. He stared at the door. It was large, constructed from a shiny red wood. "'like Snow White's poisoned apple. "'He thought he saw the handle move, but it never opened. "'Still, the waxy crimson door and its jet-black frame "'stood like a sentinel. "'The corpse and his candy were on the other side of the porch. "'He would have to cross in front of the door in order to reach them. "'Sam closed his eyes and leapt past the doorway. "'He landed, eyes closed, "'braced for the nightmares Jacob described to come true.' A demon with glowing black eyes, hellhounds biting at his heels, the heat of hell itself. But when he opened them, he was in the same spot. No creature had yanked him down into the fiery depths. He was okay. He just had to touch the corpse and he'd be done. The smell hit him first. A deep, sour odor only slightly muffled by the mask over his face like meat that had been left in the counter for days. There were gnats and flies floating around the head. Sam looked up, and the body's eyes moved. He told himself it was just another trick. His half-full pillowcase knocked against his leg, as if reminding him why he was here. The candy. He just needed to reach into the stomach. The skin was torn away. A candy bowl was buried in the fake organs liquid dripped down on Sam's hands as he reached for the bowl. His skin brushed against the fake skin. It felt odd, like pudding skin, but thicker. His fingers brushed bone, hard and spongy at the same time. Sam pulled his hand away, unsure. He could see the wrappers of the large candy bars. He was standing right in front of it. He could do this. Sam reached inside, grabbing as many bars as his hand could hold. He shoved them into the pillowcase and ran. The wind rushed through his hair, and he could hear the bodies in the trees knocking against wood. Someone was still screaming. When he got to the gate, he realized that his mask was gone. Upset, he searched the yard with his eyes, looking for the shape of its red-lined beak somewhere in the grass. But he found nothing. Then, from the dim light of the porch, he saw it. The mask was hanging from the corpse's hand. Up next, Sam reaps the spoils of his success. Now, back to the story. Sam couldn't breathe. His whole chest hurt. He'd never run so hard in his life. He pumped his arms furiously, putting as much distance between himself and the creepy Wesleyan house as possible. Jacob and Ben were there to meet him at the gates. He grabbed some of the giant foil-wrapped candy bars out of his bag and gave them to the other two boys. They wanted to hear everything, and Sam was quick to oblige, albeit with some more heroic embellishments. The spooky story was enough to keep them from asking where his mask was. He didn't want to tell them he was too scared to go back for it. Sam wasn't so sure that he was ready to be 11. This was too much for him, but he kept cool on the outside, casually suggesting they all head back home. They had enough candy to last them for a few weeks. The other boys agreed. They left the affluent neighborhood and retreated back to the safety of their cul-de-sac. The streetlights were brighter here. Parents all sat on their porches, waiting to pass out candy or welcome their children home. Sam ran straight into his mother's arms and hugged her tightly. She kissed the top of his head. Then she asked where his mask was. He could still see it in his mind, gripped tightly by the body's hand. The body that was supposed to be fake. The body that was supposed to be dead. He'd felt its insides, and now it had his mask, the one his mom had spent days working on. Sam shrugged. He told her he took it off at some point because the mask had made it hard to breathe. But he must have dropped it or something. He was sorry. She forgave him. He felt his stomach twist into knots. He should tell her the truth. Grown-ups told the truth, and he was almost a grown-up. But he couldn't do it. He just couldn't. She hadn't been there, she wouldn't understand. He had to get the candy. He couldn't have just turned away. Moms just didn't get it. She helped Sam with his robes and poured the candy into a large bowl. Since he'd had such a big adventure and done so well by himself, he could have one treat before bed. Sam considered his options. He picked up plenty of candy on the way to the scary house. But none of it appealed as much as that big, shiny candy bar, the sign of a job well done. Part of the foil had been torn away already. But he didn't care. This was his prize. He had earned it. Sam pulled the rest of the wrapper down and bit off a big piece. He could feel some chocolate smear his face, but it didn't bother him. It tasted like victory, with a very bitter aftertaste. After he'd eaten the whole bar, he got ready for bed. As Sam brushed his teeth, he started to feel off. There was something wrong with his gut. It churned and cramped, like something was stuck in it. The sharpness went away, only to be replaced by a deep burn. His insides were dissolving. He clutched at his stomach tightly. A wave of pain crashed into him. He screamed for his mom... The feeling was spreading throughout the rest of him now, coursing outward from his stomach. He screamed for her again. Only a mom could fix this kind of pain. His insides coiled tightly like snakes were biting at him with venomous fangs. He balled his fists and tried to stop the screams of pain. He was 11, grown boys didn't cry, grown boys didn't scream. His mom finally arrived. He told her that his stomach was killing him She thought he was exaggerating. He told her it was the truth. It really was trying to hurt him. She studied him for a long moment, then sunk to her knees. She held him tightly to her, told him his head was hot. He probably had a fever. Maybe some Gatorade would help. Sam tried to hold it in. He really did. But then white liquid spewed up from his stomach and all over the bathroom. It kept coming out of him creating pools of acid on the floor. When the food and candy were gone, something sick and yellow dribbled out of his mouth. It foamed up like soap. His throat burned, his teeth felt soft. But the worst part was the snakes, still lashing about, pushing everything up and out of his body, even when his body didn't have anything left to give. Sam's mom pulled her cell phone out of her back pocket. She told him she was going to dial 911. He nodded his head softly. His body felt heavy and tight, as if he was sinking deeper and deeper into the depths of a cold, dark ocean. He tried to listen to the call, but his mouth was burning with acid. His throat was on fire. His stomach was destroying the rest of him. Without any prompting on Sam's part his body started to jerk. It started out almost gently, twisting back and forth as he clutched at his stomach. But the world was moving farther away, leaving Sam behind, alone. His mom was so far away now, he could only see her in snatches. When he couldn't see her, he was left staring at white space. He heard her panicked calls for him, Sam tried to respond, but then his body was moving again, slamming forwards and backwards. The snakes didn't like that. It made the rest of his insides clench harder. His mom told him to hang on. Help would be there soon. Sam grabbed onto the towel bar, but it wiggled under his hands. His body jerked hard, pushing him into the wall, his head hitting the metal bar he'd been trying to hold. Everything was disappearing in front of him. He could feel his eyes moving back and forth, but he couldn't see much of anything. Even his mom had disappeared, replaced by a disembodied voice. He felt something soft and fleshy grabbing onto him as his body pulled back and forth with abandon. It had to be the corpse. It had used the mask to find him. Sam tried to get the words out, to warn his mother to run, but his tongue wouldn't move. It was a useless slab of flesh, locked inside his thrashing body. He tried to fight the thing holding him. His mom told him to stop trying. Sam couldn't do that. He couldn't let the corpse get him. It pressed tighter around him, making it hard for him to breathe. His body grew more violent. He felt his head smashing against the wall again and again. Then something fuzzy was in its place, cushioning the blows. But it was too late. His body was beginning to succumb to stillness. He could see the corpse reaching out for him. Sam tried to hold him off, but the corpse was strong, and he was so tired, he gave in. The last thing he heard were the sounds of his mother's screams. It's rare to find an urban legend with a direct source, but in the case of the poison candy, the real-world origin of the legend is easy to find. In the mid-1970s, the man the media would later call the Candyman, or the man who killed Halloween, claimed an actual victim through poisoned candy. In 1974, Ronald Clark O'Brien took his two children Eight-year-old Timothy and five-year-old Elizabeth trick-or-treating with some family friends in Pasadena, Texas. At the end of the night, he asked the children to pick which candy they'd like to have as a bedtime snack. According to Pasadena police detective Bill Lanier, Timothy picked a lollipop, but O'Brien told Timothy he didn't have time for that and gave him a Pixie Sticks instead. Timothy developed severe stomach pains as O'Brien held his son. Timothy started vomiting and convulsing. He was soon dead. O'Brien reported Timothy's death to the police, who sent Lanier's team to investigate. They quickly realized the pixie sticks was the murder weapon and made announcements on local news to please submit all children's Halloween candy for testing. Timothy's pixie sticks contained potassium cyanide mixed in with the sugar. Four other pixie sticks were found to have been poisoned. One was Elizabeth's. One ended up with a family friend, Whitney Parker. Two went to people who had trick-or-treated near O'Brien's house. Thankfully, everyone but Timothy's were unopened. Further investigation would show that O'Brien's pocket knife contained traces of candy residue. An interview with the chemist would reveal that O'Brien had recently asked several strange questions about poisoning. O'Brien had cut open the pixie sticks, inserted potassium cyanide, and then stapled the tops together. The final nail in the coffin was the $20,000 insurance policies that O'Brien had taken out on his kids a month earlier. O'Brien was $100,000 in debt. He needed a way out. His son paid the price. The case against him was airtight, and the jury needed less than an hour to find him guilty. Ronald Clark O'Brien was executed on March 31st, 1984, via lethal injection. For several years after the incident, Halloween was canceled in Pasadena, Texas. The impact of the case has left some people, like Detective Bill Lanier, too upset to partake in any holiday festivities. The legend itself holds tightly to a fear that is common for parents, that their child is never safe. In Pasadena, Texas, Three other kids were in danger, and their parents had no idea. Mike Hinton, the prosecutor on the O'Brien case, offers this terrifying anecdote from the night in question. When police got to Whitney Parker's house, his parents almost died on the spot because they couldn't find the pixie sticks. They found him holding it asleep. His little fingers were not strong enough to get the staples out. The world is never entirely safe for children. That's part of what makes Halloween fun for them. They get to stretch their limits, explore who they are and what they really fear. Sometimes it's ghosts. Sometimes it's witches. Sometimes it's even clowns. But how do you convince a kid to have caution around the thing they want most? How do you teach them the potential cost of one little taste? Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places. We'll be back tomorrow with a new urban legend and on Thursday with a new Haunted Place. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other Parcast Originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all your favorite Parcast Originals, like Haunted Places, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Haunted Places on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Haunted Places in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCastNetwork. Until tomorrow, don't believe some of the things you hear. Believe all of them. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, was sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler, additional production assistance by Maggie Admeyer and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Lil DeRitter and Jennifer Richey. I'm Greg Polson.